welcome back. I'm sitting here today with Joe McNulty. Welcome to today's show. Thank you. So, Joe, uh, you're an accountant, a CPA, but for the listeners, can you give some background of the areas of practice and give us some history of things that you've worked on in the past, your projects? Well, the one thing about being an accountant is sometimes people will see it as a boring profession, but I've had experience has been just the opposite. My experience has been initially started in the real estate business. And then after that, I got involved in uh, the music industry, which I was significantly involved with a major rock and roll group for many, many years, which I still involved today. But that has led from, you know, being involved in all aspects of industry and being exposed to the pharmaceutical industry, the real estate entry industry, the sports industry. Uh, I have a practice now that's I have now over the years being involved in the early 2000s with the initial purchase of a major NBA franchise. I ended up from that time period being involved in over maybe 50 to 60 transactions in the sports business, uh, including mostly in the acquisition and sale of sports franchises. So that that's actually ended up being a, a boutique business and a lot of changes that are happening in that. Yes, significant fact, changes. I think they had some valuations come out yesterday, top 10 valuations in uh, – you know, in, in, in the industry, and they're, they're up there. Uh, I think the Warriors were number two. Well, there's a lot of polls. And, there's U.S. polls. There's international okay. polls. Primarily in the sports franchise business, the initial returns to investors was by tax benefits. Yeah. The, the, the prices since Steve Bomber bought the Clippers has jumped significantly where What's happening is and the what was that? Was that two point two billion or how how much was that? That, that was a two billion dollar two franchise. billion dollar. Okay, and okay. and I believe some of the franchises that sold just before that had, was probably in the six to seven hundred million dollar range. Hmm. So this this brought a new game. The question was was the valuation worth at the time he purchased it, and and it's turned out to be that every franchise after that has been been in the billion dollar plus range at least outside of. You know NBA teams and you know uh, you know football teams. Hockey's still advancing. You know one th one thing I don't understand is that uh, right ahead of the Warriors for the the the, um, the most valued franchise was the Lakers, which they haven't been in the playoffs in years. What, what holds the value of a team up there when they're so bad? Well, it's broadcasting rights. You know, a lot of people think that sports is is you sell tickets tickets is a portion of the revenue stream but the primary source of sports franchises is broadcasting it, it is a it is an upstream broadcast um you know the nba and, and the nfl and have been significant holders both local broadcasting which is usually the team gets to keep and that depends on the market and when you have los angeles being as big of a market it is the lakers valuations based on that population and the number of Laker Laker people's and TV uh, exposure. When they do evaluation, they do it for multiple years. Then, when they do it for multiple, and... years, they're going to look at the, the the net present value of the current contracts, but also the competitiveness of future contracts. The one thing about sports franchises, it can't be taped. Tapes don't sell well. It's live, so it gives you high exposure to advertisers. And then get real time. No one could shift through the advertising, and it's a higher, you know, higher payment per minute than most other other mediums of advertising. So sports is real time. And uh, in in the franchise world, it uh, I guess it was about maybe five six years ago the 
remember the NBA players went on strike, and uh, and there was a dispute over broadcast rights. That's right. And uh, finally got settled. At, do you remember what the settlement was? Well, I, I, now the part, public? Not, not in specific detail. I do know what it is, but I won't give it too much. But it had a, the yeah. players do participate in that. And so the, the revenue streams are, are shared with the players. Okay. So it's, it's, it's part of the collective bargaining agreement. So the interesting thing, I, this is where I was going with the question, is when you're looking at the value of a franchise and you say a lot of it are broadcast rights, only a portion of those broadcast rights are with the owners. The other portion belong to the players, which are not in that valuation. Well, that's right. It's considered a an expense of the valuation. So you, usually in the NBA, if you have a, a contract and you're going to get you know thirty million from a broadcasting contract, what's going to hit your marginal profit is 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 half of that, because the other half goes to the players. So, you know, recently we went through a whole round of uh, NBA trades and, you know, moving players around. And uh, it seems like every year that they go through this, those numbers go up, up, up. They've been going up, but now there's a new dilemma in the sports industry. Okay. And the dilemma is who could pay that? Hmm. You know, we're individuals. We're using it for, you know, to shelter other parts of their income or be able to manage it. Most of the purchasers sports franchises were individuals are syndicate of individuals now the prices are becoming so expensive and there's a lot of limitations on franchises there's people trying to get past the mark of how how you're going to get someone to pay six million dollars for a sports franchise so joe i'm out of time right now i need yeah. to take a quick break and i want to when we get back i want to go further into this on the transition between families of Sports interests. Okay. I'm visiting here today with Joe McNulty, CPA, and has a extensive experience in the sports franchise industry. We'll be right back after these messages. Grandpa, can we do chemistry? Papa, Daddy. Grandpa, let's do something fun. We'll help you stay organized so you can focus on what really matters in life. Give us a call today and see how we can help you start saving taxes. Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Joe McNulty. And, and Joe, before the break, we were talking about uh, the valuation of these franchises now, which have really escalated within the last few years, starting with the Clippers transition at $2 billion. But, you know, you made an interesting remark of, you know, when now you have a fractional interest that you're trying to sell, who's going to pay $6 million for a small piece of, of, of a sports franchise? And uh, is there a dilemma in this industry? Well, there's a strong dilemma coming out for limited partnerships and the liquidity event that has to come along with limited limited members. The limited members are usually the guy that's not the operational partner. Um, and the question is, how do they, what event do they have? If, and the only event is if the the main ownership group wants to sell the team and sometimes they don't. Um, so the question is, what does limited members do in order to get a, to, to realize an economic event? And there is, the market has slowed. A lot of people don't want to pay. And you mentioned 6 million. In some of these franchises, you're looking at 25 million just to join a club, and it's a very expensive country club. Yes, they may get some tax benefits out of it, but still they want their economic event. So the sports industry is trying to find ways 
in some creative fashion to have some kind of liquidity event for passive or limited ownership. And so there's a lot of, you know, I probably was even yesterday in four different conversations on four different markets of how can the limited members get liquidity. So you're going to see a significant change in the way sports franchises are going to be. You're going to see more, less people buying franchises for tax benefits, and you're going to see more institutional investors for the economics of it. The uh, One of the things about the Lakers is uh, the, the original owner passed some some years ago. Yes. And and when, when you have a valuable franchise, Uncle Sam shows up wanting their piece of the pie. That's correct. What, what options do families have of the estate planning and, well, but, and while trying to retain control? Well, you know, the, the I've always been a big fan that, that when you buy something, you should form a family partnership and that a family partnership should share in the upside of this franchise and that you transfer the wealth the day you buy it, not the day it appreciates it. Um, you know, if so, you could pass a lot of the appreciation on to the children without incurring estate taxes. Without proper estate planning, especially because of the high valuations of these sports franchises, you're seeing a burden on the teams because of the because of if a person dies in one team, for instance, you and I have talked to it before, a very large value team, you know, that if you pet the, you get valuations at a billion and a half dollars, you know, you're talking seven hundred six to seven hundred million dollars in just estate and inheritance taxes in whatever state you're in. And that puts a tremendous burden on the family to look for liquidity. And then if they elect to pay it off over a time period, such as a 10-year period with the IRS, uh, you know, you're still talking 60 to 70 million plus a year in payments, which is money that is going to be drained from the sports franchise, which puts a big hindrance on the operations of the team, which can decline the performance and the ability to get into the market with players. So those types of numbers spells the real need to do estate planning up front. Right up front, from I day one. You, you, you speak at the annual conference for the, uh, the, the, the team owners for the NBA? Yes. And uh, what's the topic you're typically addressing there? Well, valuation, estate planning, uh, you know, the amortization of the teams. One of the things that people don't realize, at least when you buy a sports franchise, you, you get to amortize you know, the intangible asset over, over 180 months. And, and if you do the fractions, you're ended up with a, you know, 3% rate of return. If you did nothing but cash flow with zero cash flow, you're looking at a 3% cash on cash rate of return, you know, as an investment all by itself, just from the tax benefits. Joe, know. I need to take another quick break. Um, visiting here today with Joe McNulty, we've been talking about the sports franchise world and, valuations, estate planning, and when we get back, I want to go further into what the uh, team owners should be looking at in context of how do they mitigate or minimize their their tax liability on the transfer from one generation to the next. We'll be right back after these messages. Grandpa, we found the golden stone. We have to watch out for the treasure guardian. Since you can't take your wealth with you, spend time with your family. Groco, servicing family office needs since 1964. 
I'm visiting here today with Joe McNulty, and uh, Joe has expertise as a CPA in the estate and tax planning area for professional sports teams. And and Joe, in the um, in the last segment, we were talking about valuations at the astronomical figure. First of all, at what point does an estate become taxable under the law? Well, it's if if it's a single taxpayer where that's not married, you're probably looking at it in excess of ten million dollars. Okay. Um, if you're married, you're looking at in excess of twenty million dollars. Okay, in a simple form. So, so we're so when we're looking at a, a taxable estate, we're we're somewhere north of a, a twenty million dollar estate. And um, when we when we look at sports franchises and they're reaching the astronomical figures of the, um, you know, the the, the, the multi billion. Uh, I think the the, the 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 Forbes had was it three and a half billion to. The Warriors, and they weren't even the number one valuation. But these, these so these are big numbers. Yeah, you know, is, is, is the point. If we uh, if we look at transitional, how do you how do you estate plan under something so expensive? Well, you know, you, you know, if you used a particular example like you do with the Warriors, and these are all publicly public numbers. One is this yeah. recent published number, and one was the original purchase price. You're talking a three billion dollar appreciation of a sports franchise since 2010. You know that that takes the rule of seven and turns it into a whole new formula. And you're going to say, how do you estate plan for that? Well, the estate planning should have happened on the date of the purchase. You know, everything else will be corrective because if you want to give wealth away, I like to be in a situation to make a structure where if you're that you and your family are in a situation, and I, I, I'm a big advocate of family LLCs, our family partnerships, to where where the father buys assets and the family members share, okay? And that they share in the appreciation and it's done in such a strategic way. And you're not handing this wealth to the kids. The trust could be at the partner level or the member level, but the, you know, but the parents share the pie from day one with the children in the estate. So it's not about an individual's wealth. You have to think in a family's wealth. And and that's the first point to an estate plan. The estate plan should be not about Joe's wealth. It should be about Joe and his family's wealth. And if I was that in that position, it would be my whole family would participate in from all my losses and all my gains and hoping that the gains are there in the future, but it would be shared with my family and then on to their family and then on to their family and using that method. So let's say a person did the best they could on you know transitioning to other family members, but they still have a piece of the pie, well in excess of 20 million in their, you know, you know, they need to get Uncle Sam paid. What options do they have? Well, you know, when they, if they have liquidity, they gotta have liquidity when they die. Okay. Okay, so the, you know, if someone was to pass and, you know, you properly, you know, you always have the spouse planning, creating Q-tips, or you know, your spouse being a co-owner, and if she's survives you. First she, of all, what is a Q-tip? It's a, is it, it something you put in your ear? Well, it is also, but it's <laughs> it is also it's an estate planning tool to where okay. you you would give your wife certain separate property assets, and she would benefit from those assets during her lifetime, and then the passing to the next generation would happen upon her death, and she would be. If, if you had a $20 million estate and you wanted to form a Q-tip and you gave her $10 million, that $10 million would sit in trust until she passes. And then the estate would tax would be incurred upon her passing. And she has the benefit of that money. 
during her lifetime. And, and using the spousal exemption is, is the first most effective tool in, in estate planning. Um, you know. so, so when you uh, so you got the spousal exemptions, which basically the Q-tip becomes that contract between the surviving spouse and the government. Say, let's, let's just wait until both of us die. And then we'll we'll have the kids work on it, or whoever the executor is, and getting That's it settled correct. out. So the kids the kids now inherit the mom and dad's interest, and uh, it comes up that they need to pay, but they may say, "Well, we don't necessarily want to sell everything." Is there options that they may have in terms of paying over time with the well, government? Yeah, they do. The government has a statutory payout period. Okay. I. I, I Often, my recollection is over a ten-year period. Yeah. It's statutory. They get a, a reasonable interest rate, and they pay it over time. Um, you know, it, it sports franchise. We've seen several sellers of that uh, utilize that, but it does put a strain on the team because the team does lack liquidity. A lot of the sports franchises, and there's some exceptions as anything, have a lot of wealth and appreciation, but the cash flow is really back and reinvested continually back into the operations especially to get good players, okay? So the estate tax could be a burden and, and actually hinder the value of this franchise. You know, uh, there, there also was situations to where if your wealth is a sports franchise, like there is many of the original owners have, and you pass it on in a, in a as we talked about, the, the franchise into a Q-tip, you know, the problem is it doesn't cash flow to give the spouse the income she needs to live in her lifestyle. So sometimes when a when a when when a wife inherits it, it's very difficult without a liquid asset to try to get the real wealth and, and income out of that asset. And we've seen teams compromise value be just because of that structure. So it takes a lot of good planning up front to make sure your succession is properly done for. You know, we see some owners, you know, there's recent transactions to where people don't want to deal with that and they actually sell the team. Because they don't want the estate to have that burden upon passing, they call it punting. They call it punting. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, I think and, that, and it could be in all the other sports besides football, but football too. You know, the the Oakland Raiders. I guess recently, the 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 Davis family uh, ended up the, the kids ended up taking the team down to Vegas. I don't know if there was any tax reason for going to Vegas, so I don't know if that means anything. But uh, or maybe they just like the weather there better. Well, the t it's a tax free state. So if there's no income tax uh, on the state portion, uh, that 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 helps and gives some advantages to players when you start to recruit them. Um, you know, one and that brings another point is on some franchises that are in tax-free states, it does give an incentive for players to go play in Houston or Dallas versus California because the state income tax is is they're exempt. There's no state income tax. So, you know, for someone in the Los, in California, which has a very high tax, to compete with, you know, the, the Texas teams that has no state tax, uh, we once did a template and an analysis that's almost like one free net cash flow on an additional five-year contract. Wow. Wow. So I've been visiting here today with Joe McNulty. He's a CPA and a, a, has a, a boutique practice on the professional sports team industry. Joe, we're out of time today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. But I certainly appreciate you being here. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages.